Welcome to the Pop Cult Podcast. Here are your hosts Ariana and Seth. Yes, this is the Pop Cult Podcast. I'm Seth. Ariana. And we're here this week to talk to you about a couple television shows we just finished up watching their individual seasons of. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you, I'm sure you know if you're listening to this, you've seen the description. So we're going to be talking about Atlanta Season 3, and we're going to be talking about Outer Range Season 1. Uh, and so we're going to start off by talking about Outer Range. Okay. Um, and this is a sh- new show that's available on Amazon Prime. Uh, it stars um, Josh Brolin and Lily Taylor, yes. along with some other actor, Imogene Poots, of yes. course. I think the other actors, I mean, they were not people that I knew, so they you might recognize them. Uh, but those were kind of the three main cast members of the show. And it's a show that I'm wondering if it's found its audience because it presents itself one way, but it's actually something else. Uh, the premise is Royal Abbott. A Wyoming rancher, played by Josh Brolin, uh, is fighting for his land and family, uh, and he discovers on the property they own a mysterious black void. Uh, And it coincides with the arrival of Autumn, played by Imogene Poots, a drifter who seems to have some sort of connection to the Abbott family ranch, and we don't really know what that is until the end of the season. Uh, while the Abbott family copes with the disappearance of their daughter-in-law, Rebecca, who's married uh, to their oldest son, Perry, uh, they are pushed further to the brink when a rival family, the Tillersons, are trying to take over their land yes. using some, some laws and looking at the, the blueprints and everything. Uh, so what did you just think in general about Outer Range? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. It... It is so weird and it lulls you into the weirdness. It is so beautifully acted. It was clever, but it wasn't to the point that you couldn't connect the dots to yourself, but it also leaves you with so many questions afterwards. I'm sure we're going to have to give a warning to people that we are going to talk about spoilers about I, uh, it. In my notes, I'm trying to like avoid yes. talking about too much, but I mean, I think it's a show that to engage with it is to know the least about it because it's it presents itself as one thing at the beginning and then over time evolves into something else and it feels completely natural and organic like yes. this is where the show needs to go but the weirdness of this yes um it's a show in my opinion or first of all i'd say it's weird fiction yes. which is sort of that cosmic horror uh lovecraftian sort of thing where you're not dealing with a monster uh, you're dealing with characters up against existential horrors. Yes, and like the way that I view it, if Severance to me is almost a, conti- a new version of a modern version of Lost, or The Office in some ways, uh, mixed with 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 The Office, mm-hmm. this is absolutely a tribute to shows like Twin Peaks and Dark. Yeah, yeah, and. It, you won't get it in the first few episodes. In the first few episodes, they are quietly lulling you into it. Well, they're introducing the characters. We're developing they're introducing relationships. introducing it to you. And then suddenly there's a shift. It's 
funny enough, it's like it's suddenly they go into a Dutch angle and you didn't know they were going to go that way. Yeah, the cinematography is and incredible. And the cinematography is so beautifully done that there were times when I was watching it, I was just like, this feels like a musical. And not because people are singing. There is singing. There's but, like an interpretive <laughs> element to it. But there's like, it. it's as if the camera work is moving along with the music to set a certain mood. And it will take up to like one to two minutes <coughs> of mm-hmm. it just music and like it just lingers. camera movement lingering or shifting or the shot is centered on one point, but the background is zooming in and out. And I... I remember when we were first watching it, you're like, oh, how do you feel about it? And I was like, I don't know yet. But the weirder it got, the more I was like, I love this show. And I would, it's one of those few shows that I would just sit down and rewatch it. Yeah, it's a show that, like, I want to watch this with people who haven't seen it because I want to watch them, yes. like, wake up to what the show is. Um, we're Being existential horror. The, that means this, this isn't about them conquering or overcoming something, but it's about them waking up to a difficult truth in the same yes. way like a Lovecraft protagonist wakes up to the fact that there are these elder gods that are beyond anything he yeah. could ever comprehend. Um, but beyond just that surface level, if we look thematically, it's a show about the experience of coming to terms with the world not being what you have believed it is. Yeah. Uh, it's about the loss of faith, the loss of family, the meaninglessness of wealth in the face of an uncertain future. Normal is gone because what we realize is that normal never existed in the first place. What we thought was normal was yeah. a facade. Uh, and the myth of normality was just a comfortable blanket that we were wearing. Yeah. And I feel like if ever a show was like this was to come out, having it come out right now I think is a really – Interesting thing, because America, which the show is set in Wyoming, is about as uncertain as it could be in its history at this point. Yes. <laughs> like, And this is about those sort of middle America, I wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily say working class. They behave as if they're working class. They have more money than that, because they own all of this property. I think it's almost, well, there is an implication during it that they own all this property, but they're scraping by in order to make the ranch work. And so, unlike their neighbors who have an abundance of wealth to kind of like sh- like spare and do whatever they want, which means that they're manipulating the system in their favor, they are kind of like wanting to keep this ranch because it's been passed down from generation to generation, but there's also some implications in the show that like, yeah, that's great that you've had this for for generations, but you know, Native Americans actually owned this land before you, you got here. Yeah, there's, there's this concern with family and tradition, but there's a lack of interest in understanding where this came from. And one of the conceits of the show is that where we think things came from and the path that a person or an object made from one place to another is not what we perceive it to be, and it's more complicated than that. Yes. And there's forces outside of our control that are doing things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also think the Abbott family is could rub people the wrong way because they are the main family. They're the protagonists. But 
the further we go on in the show, the worse they become. They're not good people. There are twists and turns as to who is the villain and who is the hero. Well, they set up one family, the Tillersons, the neighbors who want the property, and we think, oh, these are the villains. And I don't necessarily think that's true now, having gotten to the end of the season. I it's having to do with the ambiguity of, of these people. Like, there is a cross between um, loving each other, but also constraining each other from like fulfilling their like their lives as they would want to there is an obligation that nobody is really talking about but the younger uh members of the family are kind of like hinting at that they are apparently not allowed to leave they're stuck in this place um due to obligation to their parents and it's this interesting thing that i feel like without the show really saying it um, they're being forced to stay via their mother. Their parent, like the father, is you know what is a common trope within American shows is the father is gruff, doesn't really talk about. He's emotionally distant from his yes. entire family, and we come to learn like there's stuff going on in his background that explains that. Yes, but you think like. The things that happened to him that set him down this path occurred when he was a child, and now the man is like. 60 something yeah and is still like he never seems to have emotionally connected with anyone in his family even his wife there's like a distance there from like the first episode yeah and um there and like there's also the mystery of the lost daughter-in-law who um people like recount that she never wanted to stay she was not from the area she Mm -hmm. went to the university of wyoming and had planned to go back to California, but fell in love with Perry, and the two of them had a child, and it was a constant fight of her wanting to be somewhere else. Uh, basically, like, restart her life and be surrounded by different people. They do a very good job of not making the town feel really small. At the beginning, yeah. they do, but then when you're, like, doing the rodeo stuff or, like, doing um, stuff that, like... There's a like there's an abundance of people. Like there's a shootout scene near the end of the season. Yeah. And I felt like they did you it was a very great use of that space of that yes. town, like alleyways you might not think about. Yes. And people trying to like cut each other off. Yeah. And it yeah, it made it feel like okay, this isn't this like one road town. This is there's a little more complexity. Yeah, here. there is as people who have basically lived in a small area, they did very well of like on business stuff yeah people knew each other's names but it was populated but once like the rodeo stuff came in you could tell like oh they they have a population here yeah um it is not as small as we think it is but it's understandable why people wouldn't want to stay because you know you're doing the same thing over and over again which happens a lot you just you go to the festival you go to the bank you go to so-and-so so-and-so knows your name and uh, they did a great thing that one of uh, one of the main characters, Royal, went to discuss with someone else about uh, land rights. And the guy wasn't even from there. He's from Texas. And therefore complaining about Wyoming. And it was like this one touch of like modernness of you mm-hmm. talking about, talking about uh, Kanye West having moved there, all like rich people buying up the property. And Royal dismisses it sort of like, well, you know, we leave people in peace here. 
But it's a it's it is a nudge coming from them being like, isn't it kind of ridiculous that rich people are buying up this land? Or also the <laughs> idea that like, do you leave people in peace? Because what we see the abbots do is create a lot of pain for other people. <laughs> well, like it's also it, it it's because <coughs> Tillerson's like the mm-hmm. it's because the Tillerson's also won't leave them alone that certain things sort of like become so hostile at the end of the day it's it doesn't excuse their reaction but it's like they just want to be left alone but the property needs to be like there's certain parts of the property that someone else wants but even then this doesn't really explain how just bizarre the show bizarre um i think the show one of the things it does is the choice of what scenes we see as an audience and then when they choose to cut away and we don't get the rest of a conversation or we open in a moment and it seems like something's happened and I'm not and we're not really sure what it was uh, is informing us about the character's understanding of what's happening in that everyone in here, you get the sense sort of like when you would watch Lost. It was like, oh, that character, they know what's going on. But then... Maybe a few seasons later, you'd find out, well, they actually have no idea. And this entire time, they've been behaving off of, like, an assumption. And in this show, the characters are doing that, too, is what I think. Is there's a lot of people that feel very sure that they know what's going on. But even as the audience member, you're left with assumptions. Well, I mean, I think what we're seeing is the characters are a reflection of the audience to the point that we have to understand, yeah, they don't even know. They are acting so self-assured based on a few pieces, but they don't see the whole. They don't understand how all of this connects and what it all means. Um, And I think the only character who really engages with that ambiguity is Royal. Because this is a man that is falling apart. Oh, yeah. He has just... like The rage in him, the way he's trying to hide things when it's... I mean, this hole on his property, he's using it in ways that benefit him. But he's also tormented by it and won't talk to anyone about it. Yeah. But then you flip that to other characters in the show who are aware of the hole and bring in other people. Yes. And the idea that I get the sense, even if they don't understand what this is, they understand that other people need to be involved it can't just be something we're going to figure out on our own yeah that it's i bring you in because there's something about you that's going to help us add to the understanding of this phenomenon yeah i mean royal just acts like a toxic uh cishetero white male by not sharing it with anyone else and then everyone else ends up like you know there's that moment of like do we use this as a way to like get money or is it a greater good? Is it a is it a great evil? And then the conclusion is that like it just is what it is. Yeah, for now, from the perspective of these characters, it's like a force of nature. There, it's yeah. neutral. It's not though. I feel, and I think that would be an interesting direction for the show to go. Is that they're making all these assumptions about the intent of this phenomenon, and it turns out there isn't. It just happens, and then sometimes it doesn't. Yeah, and it's just a thing, and there's no way you can ever really understand it yeah. because it's beyond you. Um. Uh, Lily Taylor's performance as his wife, um, Cecilia, 
I think like he's very good, and I think she's right up there with him. The I mean, whole especially season. towards the end. Yeah, it's at the beginning we don't get a lot of her. Uh, at the beginning, we're like, kind of establishing him. So this is when it like this podcast might get a touch personal. There is something about her that reminds me of your mom. I thought the same thing. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. I did. I did. I did. This, this like thing of clinging to her religion. So there is this weird part where like she is obviously super into Christ, super into the praying. She goes to Bible study, like she women's Bible, Bible studies. studies. And the thing is like Royal, she gets upset with him because she's like, I understand that you don't believe it, but I have to cling to this. And yeah, it's not that like she finds joy in it. It's like, this is what I have to do for, to survive. And, um, <coughs> You see someone throughout the series losing their religion. Yeah. The, there's a scene in the last episode and where she's screaming, God is gone, God is gone. And it is... And it's also really funny because I remember the first time I ever saw her was in a movie that where she is in love with Jesus Christ. Lily Taylor? Yes. Okay, I don't You'd have to look I'm not familiar. I, I saw I watched it dubbed in Spanish. This was like okay. years ago and I remember thinking, Oh my god, she's beautiful. Um, Which is funny because the her looks have been a point of insult to her over her the years, which I think is ridiculous. I think she looks like a normal person. I don't think there's anything What people have said like she, Oh yeah, it's very shitty people. I mean, like, it's weird because, like, I, whenever I see her on screen, I'm just, like, I always think that she is, like, stunning, no matter what age. Lily Taylor? Is. Yes. Okay. And, uh, but she, it is, it is a slow bo boiling rage, which is funny enough, like, I feel like a lot of people feel conflicted when we see women just fucking lose it because there's, like, this whole thing about Scarlet Witch. And well, there's a stupid shit about, like, oh, you know, portraying women as hysterical. I don't feel that Cecilia's a hysterical character. There are moments where she exhibits hysteria, but there's moments where Royal exhibits hysteria. It's yeah. these people's entire faith in the laws of nature are gone. Well, I think it's also, <laughs> people are confusing hysteria with anger. Yeah. And it's because women are supposed to be this composed being and, it, and like, have a rationale or, you know, have a nicely... Um, done ending where they were right but it's a lot of times that women are portrayed that if they use enough patience at the end of the day everything will be fine which i think was one of my problems with like was it mosquito island or something like that uh oh the mosquito coast yes yeah the peter weir because yeah. like it had to do with the fact that i was like i just could not deal with the fact that the wife was just so passive Pass. and she only had one breakdown and here yeah, Here's Cecilia's C having multiple. Cecilia races. has so much agency in this story, yes. like, and it's the the show holds her accountable for moments of passivity. Yes, uh, it gives her moments by herself, where uh, as we get deeper into the show, I feel like every character begins to behave more irrationally, at least from our perspective of what's happening. But I can understand why they're doing it to an extent. There's a something that goes on with her that involves like self-harm yes and that the show never attempts to be explicit about the why this and even with her it just feels like this is an instinct she sees this thing she thinks that it could hurt her in a way and she does it because 
her god is gone, her family is falling apart, and she wants to still know that she can feel something. Yes. Uh, and so she hurts herself yes. with this thing. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of like room to interpret in this show because uh, something happens to her later where she's attacked yes. by an animal. Mm-hmm. And the show leaves it ambiguous as to what's going on there. This animal is associated with another character mm-hmm. uh, in another episode. So it's one of those where I don't think this animal is necessarily just randomly passing by. Once again, there's this like sort of mystic nature to the show. Mm-hmm. And so it's like the attack on her was something that this more powerful entity or whatever that's doing something things. something that she's very unwilling to accept. She's yeah. willing to accept God, but she's un- she's unwilling to accept something that's coming to her and let her let it be her end. And instead of maybe becoming passive at that moment as she was passive with everything else, she decides to go on the attack, but it doesn't benefit her at the end because now she has to deal with her consequences. Which is the the dead animals. She has to deal with that, right? Yeah, and it's... Uh, yeah, why did she remind you of your mom? Uh, I think physically. It's her okay. stature, um, her hair. Yes. Uh, the inability to grapple with what's happening in the moment like the crises Mm -hmm. it's the i need to shut this away i need to you know devote myself harder to my bible and my bible study uh and not really come to terms with the enormity of what's happening to me and it's also like the anger that like she couldn't resolve it through god or through bible verses or through her like prayer group it's the denial that there are aspects of life that are not able to be simplified yeah. in comforting ways that you just have to realize there is just there are things that happen and they're bad and there's not really anything anyone could do about it they're either someone else's actions that you mm-hmm. can't control or they are you know forces of nature that are beyond your ability to fully comprehend yeah uh, yeah, I just think Cecilia is such an interesting character. Um, one of the characters who some people might recognize, Noah Reed, who is in... I have not watched Schitt's Creek, but he uh, is the, the singing oh, Tillerson. Yes, 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 yes. Who is, I think, probably your favorite character in the show. Oh, I love that character uh, he, so much. He plays Billy, who in the first episode, you're probably not even going to notice he him. He is like a side character, and the thing is... Okay, to any fans of, like, Shit's Creek, Seth has not watched I, it. I, I don't know. <laughs> he is a completely different character. Because so, you didn't even recognize this no, guy. No, I didn't recognize him. I thought I was confusing him with someone else for a second. So I was just like, is that so-and-so? Because I was just like, because they have dyed his hair blonde. Yes. Um, but and he is a musician yes. in real life, which does play a role in the show. Yes, <laughs> I mean I feel like every any person who casts him are just like, oh, he has a great singing voice. But this one is just it's I've never seen singing presented so weirdly. It That's is, what it's so good. Here's the thing: there's a lot of times that like when we have talked about this, it has to do with the fact that like when you watch shows like um, Twin Peaks or you see stuff sort of like M Night Shyamalan. Um, he does like they're like oh we're gonna put in a quirky character but with M. Night it's just it's something that doesn't make sense like that one dude who is like only exercising one arm 
kind of thing. Yeah, and Lady um, in the Water. It's just like weirdness for weirdness in, sake. In this one, it was at, he starts off singing um, randomly. So you're thinking maybe this is going to be a one or two. In his tidy whities in front of a mirror. Yes. <laughs> but then it just continues. There's a, he attends a funeral at one point and sings, and they're like pop songs from like the 90s. Like pop songs between like 80s and 90s and early 2000s. And I appreciated this so much because like as a kid, I remember I was just singing all the time, just all the time. Like, uh, like my grandmother would like make fun of me because you can hear me in the bathroom, like singing when I would just like go to the bathroom. But, and so it's played so genuinely that the singing is like a self-soothing thing for Mm -hmm. him and something that maybe helps him think. And so like, he just does it and it, and it just becomes a thing in the whole series that, like, the lyrics are supposed to mean something connected to that scene. It's like a, in, like, traditional theory, like a Greek chorus where yes. these people are, like, singing about what's happening in a way that the audience, like, the characters don't recognize, but we as the audience are making the connection. Yes, and he is just, it, to me, it fits so well. It fits so well for him to be doing this, and it does. And because again, it they, this show lulls you into the weirdness. You just think, oh, he's just a little quirky. He's singing all the time, but it like amps it up a little. You bit. start to believe, like I think this guy might be one of the most important people in this entire story. <laughs> like he's a little like aloof, but it turns out he knows more. Like he's more in touch with like the the spiritual and the cosmic than yes. we first realize. And I think it's also when you go in, you're going to go in with these certain stereotypes and beliefs, which are common. You Like this family that's evil, they have three brothers. The weird one is just going to be the nice one, but we're barely going to see any part of this one because it's like he's just weird. He's just soft. He turns out to be way more important and way more alert to the things around him than anyone else gives him credit for. Well, I also want to talk about uh, Will Patton, who plays Wayne Tillerson, the father of the Tillerson family, who his role is slightly diminished near the end of the season for reasons that make sense if you watch it. But man, some of his monologues he delivers (laughs) early on, that's, I feel like that was when the weirdness really kicked in for me because we have this guy who lives up on a mountain and he, all he wants is this, the West pasture of the Abbott Ranch. And he's obsessed with it. And he talks to this taxidermy buffalo head on his wall. And then we start seeing a buffalo around the property. Also talks to like a bear. Yeah. He talks to a bear. And then we see a bear walking around the property. And so this man, this character of of, um, Wayne Tillerson seems to understand something we later find out there was a very crucial moment in his life that kind of opened his eyes to the you know cosmic horror of what the whole show's about but man like he is like the door into the weird at the beginning you're like something's off with this guy the way he talks doesn't sound like the way i would expect you know a wyoming rancher to talk well even like the, the so-called villain you would not think that they yeah would talk to they, they like would in other stuff and like because it's not maniacal it's like this it's like these philosophical ramblings about it's like someone who like got deep into meditation and, he, and it's, it's sort of like you know my eyes are open to you know a world beyond what we can see the and all of this the 
monologues yeah. on this thing is just so beautifully done. And then because we have let's talk speaking of monologues, Imogene Poots. Oh my god, <laughs> I love her so much. I mean, like honestly, we'll end up spoiling the whole thing. Uh, no, 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 no. no. Uh, we're not going to spoil. We yeah, to. anything about Autumn other than. She gives, delivers a monologue in the mirror in a, like, di- is it a diner bathroom? Yeah, diner bathroom. That is so intense. And, like, she goes from being someone that, like, I think she kind of understands what's going on, to, I'm terrified of this woman. She it seems <laughs> so, like, laser-focused on what she needs to do and how she's going to do it. And... You know, talking about an altar in the core of the earth, and which, and that it's her job to, you know, put a sacrifice on that altar, and it is wild. It's I, I can't, it's, I don't think I can properly express how much I love the show without ruining it to people. It's just again, it's just bizarre. It is in a great way, though. In a great way, it's emotional. It's it leaves you with so many questions. And it's also one of those things that, like, I want a second season, and I don't want a second season. I want a second season because I want to see where they go with it, but I don't want them to ruin it. And it's also, like, the fear that, like, that we're the only two people on this fucking earth that have watched it. I've oh, no, it's, told... it's gotten a lot of buzz. It's okay, gotten a lot good, of buzz, yeah. because I told my friend, Frank, who did not know about it. I, was I, just I like, think Amazon Prime does a bad job of marketing their shows. Yeah, and it's just, it's, it's such, like... It's such a delight to watch. When I feel like if Amazon Prime can keep putting out things like this and like the new season of Kids in the Hall, they could become one of the best streaming platforms oh, <laughs> around. Kids in the Hall was amazing. Yeah. Uh, but this this was, this, again, it was funny because like we were just, we didn't know after the first two episodes. Yeah, it took me a while. Like there's a, a moment where Royal tells Autumn about something. Yeah. That happened to him. And that's when I was like, Oh, <laughs> I didn't know that's what the show was going to be. I have to watch all of this now because I need to understand what that was. He sees something that sort of is, that's the spark that sends him on this path of madness. Yes. And I will tell you, this will be a spoiler that won't ruin the show. You don't, we don't revisit that for the rest of the season. That's something that I think might be revisited down the road, but we needed it when we saw it to understand why all of this is falling apart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think both of us are recommending outer range season one with like glowing reviews. Like it, yeah, it mean, is a, mu- I think it's a must watch. I think, yeah, it yeah. is a must watch. Um, again, just go into it, thinking your own thoughts, going for it. Just give it a little bit of time if if you really, really love Twin Peaks. Because I think it's only six episodes? Yeah, I uh, think so. Uh, let me double check. Oh, it's eight episodes. It's eight episodes. So it's not going to be a bunch of time that's going to be taken from you. And I would say if by two episodes in you're not intrigued enough to keep going, then stop, right? But if what you've seen in those first two episodes... Wait until like the third at the least. You think the third? Okay. okay. Uh, the... There's something brewing there that's really special that we don't get very often yeah, with TV and, shows. Yeah, and the weird thing is, like, when you're like, oh, Imogen Poots is in this. And I feel like she's been more selective on her projects. Yeah, she was the one that made me think, okay, this isn't what I thought it was. Uh, because, like, she did a remaking of uh, Black Christmas, which I would want to watch after having watched the original one. 
she did that weird movie with Jesse Eisen. Oh. Like that one that was like they went to go find a place to live and they end up raising this uh, insane thing. Oh, <laughs> and she was really good in that. Yeah, yeah that it, was. Um, it, I think it came she, out over the beginning of the pandemic. And I think Vivarium, she, yeah. yeah. And, and she was. Uh, don't forget about Green Room. Yeah, and which she, is intense. Like she helped produce that. Uh, like, Vivarium. The variant. Um, I believe uh, we'd have to double check, but I think she has been just wanting to do weirder stuff. So if you see her in something, it's going to be weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's going to be something that doesn't meet the expectations that you think it will be at first. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's great show. If you have Amazon Prime, check it out. If you don't, well, you can always find other ways to watch shows if you don't have a service. Uh, and we'll leave it at that. We are back, and we're going to be talking about Atlanta Season 3. Uh, if you're not familiar with the Atlanta series, I don't know why you're listening to this review. Uh, but uh, it is created by Donald Glover. The episodes are directed by Hiro Murai, I believe is how his name is pronounced. Uh, and they follow uh, Glover's character of Urn, who is an Atlanta native, going about his life. Uh, his, and it really changes when his cousin, Alfred, who raps as Paperboy, uh, suddenly gets some fame from s- some tracks that he put out. And so from the beginning of the show, it's kind of been watching the rise of Paperboy and Earn, kind of trying to figure out where his place in a, is in all this. Um, Alfred has a friend, Darius, who just doesn't really do anything and is this weird sort of philosophizing homeless person that just wanders <laughs> around. Um, and then we have uh, Van, who is Ern's ex-girlfriend and the mother of his daughter, Lottie. And they're kind of like, sometimes they're together, sometimes they're not. It's a complicated yeah. relationship. So season three really shook things up by transferring the story to Europe, mm-hmm. Western Europe primarily. Uh, and mostly sort of the UK. Uh, we, there's a little bit in Paris, but then also uh, Amsterdam. There's yeah. a lot there. And it's Paperboy is going on a world tour now. He's reached this level of fame where he's playing at these venues. He's uh, making more money. And he's brought these people in his life along with them. Uh, the big difference, and something I really loved about this season, was how the episodes didn't necessarily, it wasn't a one-to-one alternating, but every few episodes we'd get a standalone anthology episode that had nothing to do with the main characters. Yeah. Uh, in some instances, weren't even in Atlanta, I don't yeah. think. Um, but we're exploring aspects of modern life as a black person or exploring white fears of blackness, which I found yes. very interesting. Uh, just how did you feel overall about this season of Atlanta? Because I know the critics have been a bit mixed about it. I thought it was a great season. I think it's also this... Um, there is this weird thing that people never want to talk about that once a musician become successful enough, the drama is no longer as heightened as the way it was when they were struggling. And so I think people were expecting a certain type of drama, a certain type of, you know, well, why isn't there more about Earn and like, uh, 
and paper boy why isn't there more this this and that but it's just getting to a point that they've kind of like are setting themselves into the careers earn is kind of established and has shown that he can do his job and he does his job very well because he's uh he's alfred's manager yes and versus the way it was before when he was just like struggling not knowing what to do with himself not knowing how to process what was going on without losing his cousin and basically losing his income or him struggling being poor so i think it's very important to almost let them have this weird like moment of this is what life is. When it's by placing them in a different environment, it disassociates them from the world they know. And it it's interesting being in Europe now. Uh, it feels as though it places them in an alien setting where there's a yes. lot of unfamiliarity to them. And they're trying to figure out what are the rules of this place. And especially as black people, what do they think of me? Are there things in my way here? Like, what's, how do I interact in this well, place I've never been? It's also like there was a moment in the season where, um, like, Paperboy, which I, like he does have a first name. I just can't remember. Right Alfred. Now. Like, Alfred um, basically just does, does a gambling thing. And when... Earl's like, what's, why are you mad about this? What's going on? Like, how much was it? And he was like, oh, it was 15 grand. And he's like, why are you complaining about 15 grand? And he's like, oh, 15 grand's not a big deal. Like, before these people... Season one, 15 grand was, was a lot. a big deal. <laughs> yeah. And now it's gotten to the point that it's more has to do with, like, the, you know, the justice of it. When I think all of these actors... Donald Glover was already very famous, but the three other actors have become famous as a result of being on Atlanta. Yeah, and they so, were all successful beforehand. Oh, like, But they've really... People know who they are now because of yeah. the show. It's gotten them more opportunities, uh, more films. Like uh, the gentleman who plays Darius, Lakeith Stanfield, in Get Out, in Judas and the Black Messiah. Mm-hmm. Um, Zazie Beetz, who plays Van. We've seen her in... Uh, she's in Deadpool 2. She's popped up in other shows and movies. Um, the actor who plays... Um, Alfred, Brian, uh, Tyree Henry in Eternals, the Marvel movie. So from season one of Atlanta to now, in their lives, they've experienced fame. So I think a lot of what's going on in the show is also not just the characters, but the actors in a way are thinking about, like, what does it mean now that I'm famous? And I'm, I'm, when I go to parties, I'm among a very different group of people, a lot of white people now. Yeah, then they've already discussed that in prior seasons for, uh, before, like Donald Glover kind of made a remark about him being with a white woman with a interaction between a black woman and a, and a white woman talking about a successful person and the black woman was mad at her. And it was a funny, but also like heartbreaking moment. Um, so was they the, do, the Drake episode. Was yes. That, yeah. And they do remark on certain things. I think it's just now since they're more in a comfortable place, they want to talk about other aspects of like race without using certain characters because these characters have become successful and are no longer thinking about certain struggles. I want to talk about the the anthology episodes, which is almost like an entirely different series yeah. in a way. And I think there were a lot of people from what I've read on the critic side of things that felt they liked how the... F- I think the first episode of the show was an anthology episode for yeah, this it was. season. it was the first one. And... They, that was that was liked. 
But near the end, they started being a little more annoyed with them. And I, I don't really understand it because to me, those were my favorite episodes of the season. Like, I love the stuff with Earn and, and all of them. But the anthology ones were the ones where I felt like they were really taking an idea and exploring it in a way that they hadn't before. Or they hadn't until earlier in the series. I feel like what it is is like since they didn't have people to sympathize with, meaning there weren't reoccurring characters, their immediate almost anger was you're displaying white people in a negative fashion. And it wasn't 100% negative. But it at was the honest. end of the day, it was an honest thing. And it was almost like a horror show of sorts oh, for yeah. white people, especially white conservative people. Um, well, I think white liberals, too. I think white liberals are a little more conservative oh, yeah, like, than they realize. Yeah. Especially like when it came to this uh, episode that had to do with like the nanny and also having to do with like uh, the reparations. Like It was different aspects that they were just displaying that was like what... like. 45 minutes to maybe an hour that was only like 30 minutes is what and they usually like, yeah. but it, was it feels still, very full yeah and it was it wasn't a constant display of like black suffering which i think we talked about this in what was it us or like them them <laughs> yeah them that was like grotesque to watch yeah it's and, one of those yeah like at the time of watching that show Stylistically, it had beautiful cinematography, yeah. and it was shot very well. But yeah, it's so bleak and and not not exploring black pain in, in an interesting way that hasn't already been done. And and I think yeah, it's what they did was they turned the tables on black horror and made short stories about black horror as seen through white eyes. Yeah. So the white people are the ones that are suffering and struggling, not the black people. Or even like the first episode, it had to it was. Lifted off like news uh, paper, yeah, like if, news articles. Yeah, if anybody's familiar with the, there's that photo, that piece of propaganda that um, circulates about um, a young black, black man. Boy. Yeah, he's in like a leather jacket and a, and a it's hat. A young, it's a young black boy, and he's hugging a cop. But he's crying. And that was based on there was this. Uh, they were a lesbian couple, correct? Yes. And they had adopted a bunch of black children. And they, I guess they made this child go up and do this and then cut to, you know, a few months later and they drive off a cliff with all of the kids in a van and kill all themselves. And so this, that first episode is based on that story and it's incredible. Yeah. I think it's, it, it's without really saying on how like um, transracial adoption can be incredibly harmful and um, it it touches on certain things that nobody really wants to talk about. It touches on the fact that when a social worker comes in with concerns about the children who happens to be like a black social worker, so she's taking more of the children's side, um, one of the moms is like, oh, was it the neighbor? You know, he's just a Bernie bro. And he's really mad. And it's just like stuff that you know, like... You're not going to see in a lot of other shows. You're, you're going to know that like liberal-minded people who were anti-Bernie or, you know, thought that Bernie ruined Hillary's chances were not going to be happy with it. And it's also remarking on the fact that like nobody wants to talk... Like everybody seems to forget that like Joe Biden had this whole thing. Like if you didn't support him, you're not black. Mm -hmm. And it's touching on these things that makes people uncomfortable 
And so since people can't see themselves as the hero, they see themselves as the villain, it's immediately like discussed with it. Yeah, I think the writer, that episode in particular was written by uh, Donald Glover's brother, Stephen Glover. Who is adopted. Yeah. And it was the Hart family is who they were. Uh, I checked that. And yeah, they had six adopted children. Uh, they murdered themselves and all six children who were all children of color. Uh, and it's something that I, it's one of those incidences, sort of like what's going on right now, because as we report, record this podcast this week, uh, those children and teachers were murdered in Texas. Mm-hmm. And I fully expect America not to come to terms or try to work through to understand what has happened. The same thing with what happened with the Hart family. Uh, that photo got circulated like crazy, but the story of them killing themselves and their children made a little blip, and then no one ever talks about it. Well, it's like once the lie is out there, it's so hard to just like come up with the truth. Uh, and it's really disheartening because it's already embedded like there's too many people already like thinking to themselves like well i know what the truth is the first thing that came up why why are they trying to cover this and it's this season of atlanta was like very good and i think i loved how i loved how it was confrontational but not in a way that felt preachy yeah and so i just i don't understand people who were uh like disliked it or felt that it fell through the cracks versus the stuff that had to do with the main characters um donald glover along with his writing staff and his director are showing like they're it's beautifully shot it's yeah i think uh, director hero murai is incredible yeah he does colors and settings so well and he lights black skin so beautifully versus what we see um, from a day-to-day basis to everything else. And I'm not saying like, oh, give Donald Glover everything. It's just sort of like he's doing something that's completely interesting that will open the gates for other people to come in. And if you're uncomfy with it, you need to sit with that uncomfortable moment because that means that moment is a moment of change. But unfortunately, people can't consume media unless they're feeling safe and comfy in their homes. Okay. So we talked about kind of picking out a couple episodes for each of us that we felt were standout highlight episodes. And so what was one of the episodes you felt was just like, that's, if you sit down and only watch one episode, watch this one. Uh, the first one, which was three slaps. Mm-hmm. Which we, yeah, we just kind of talked about yeah. that one. Yeah. Um, the... oh, and what, so in particular, what about that episode connected with you? Um, I think it was just, <laughs> it was, it was so heart-wrenching at times. But like, funny. It was, yeah. It was such a wonderful mix of horror and comedy. Yes. And, like, they did it so well that it is a nod to, like, this new sort of, like, um, black horror of sorts of acknowledging that this is a really fucked up situation. So the one scene that stands out in my head is... Uh, the kid is being told to go work in like the garden and he is complaining that he doesn't want to do it and that makes sense he doesn't want to do it um the reason that he's like put up into basically foster care is because he's acting out in school and is and by him getting physically like hurt by his mother like in front of a social worker is 
pulled out because she's like, oh, this is a dangerous situation. At no point is it really thoroughly investigated. Well, there's no attempt to like maybe help the mother with parenting skills. Or talk to the mom. It's give the black child to these nice white people. <laughs> and so like the mom tells the kid, well, if you want to go, go. And he kind of, he does. But the moment, like, there's two things that, like, stood out to me. Uh, the moment he's sent to go work and she's like, stop complaining. You should sing a song. And he starts yeah, he's singing. working in the and garden. she's like, no, sing like this, you know. Yeah, I'm working. Like, she, it's she like a black spiritual. Like a, like a slave song. And then the other one that stands out the is. The food. The food. Oh my god! It was just like they serve them fried chicken that's completely unseasoned with no like batter, it just has flour, and it was yeah. put in the oven. And he's just like, "This is gross." And she's like, "No, this is from your native. Yeah, this is part of your culture." And like, she's like, "I read it in a book." And he's like, "No, I'm like, don't know." And she's like, oh, everyone else loves it. And, like, well, and then there's the thing with, you know, white people and quote unquote black names because his name is Laquarius. But they just can't pronounce it even. So they call him Larry during the episode. And it's just that the and especially having a background in elementary teaching, like one of the things that I always made a priority was if I was if I had students who had names that were not, quote unquote, traditionally American, just AKY. Yeah, traditionally white names. I made an effort, you know, on that first day of school of saying, if I, you know, I'm going to say your name. If I say it wrong, correct me. And I, and I like when kids will correct me on that because I, out of respect, I want to be able to say their name. But yeah, just the presumption and the pretentiousness of these white people to just rename him because it's easier that way rather than, you know, stretching themselves and learning something. Uh, but I, I thought that was a great one. Uh, for me, a really great episode that I thought was a great piece of comedy was the big payback. Oh, that's what I'm, that's it, on my list yeah. too. It it uh the in this episode, uh, and this is what I wouldn't be surprised if people clashed with this one because this one is really about white people. Uh, it's actor Justin Bartha who I'm not 100 percent familiar with him. I know he's been in a lot of different shows. He was in National Treasure movies. Uh, he plays a guy named Marshall who lives in Atlanta. Uh, and is just going about his life. And in the background of his life, we're hearing these news reports talking about how um, it seems as though yeah, it was a black man who sued Tesla. A Tesla. Tesla an inv investor. Because that investor's ancestors had enslaved his ancestors. And the guy won. So now there's this floodgate of black reparations. And what the film does so brilliantly. A little and, show. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it feels like a film. That's why I call it that is portray it, it took it takes the sort of white talking points that you often hear about the idea of reparations mm -hmm. and their like underlying fears like oh the black people are come and take my house from me which i i don't think like reparations would be paid out of like the government from like a fund it's not going to personally come from people like yeah, yeah it may be like, in your taxes but you're not gonna have to like cut a check from your own savings very account fictionalized right? when everybody realizes when you think about it because it's not as if a hundred percent of the white population owned like slaves to begin with but i think one of my favorite things is like he this person is convinced no i'm like 
fifth generation of so-and-so that came to America. Well, he talks about being Austro-Hungarian and that, well, I was, my ancestors were slaves and I'm not suing and them. talking to a Jewish woman and she's like, no, they weren't. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, it's uh, also this irony that like, there's a lot of people that argue that Jewish people weren't enslaved. Uh, oh, and then there's the, um, so Marshall is just going about his day and then all of a sudden, Oh, one thing I love is he goes to work and there's like a white colleague crying out in the parking lot. And you're at first you're like, why is this person crying? It's very much you're in Marshall's shoes. Mm -hmm. And so he's having dinner with his daughter. He's divorced. And so he has shared custody and they're having dinner at his house. And there's a knock at the door and it's a black woman named Shaniqua Johnson, which they intentionally gave this woman the kind of name that like a white person would make fun of a black person with. Because they're like, th- what we're doing is we're going to explore the the white terror of black people and reparations on their terms. We're going to go, yeah. okay, so here's what it would look like. And she is suing him. Her, his family owned her ancestors. She enters the house, live streaming it, demands $3 million from him. Uh, he kicks her out in front of Katie. And the next day he's sued. Um, and some of the things, like some employees at his job who have also been sued, one guy's walking around wearing a shirt that says, I owned uh, slaves. Yeah. Uh, and it's all of these ways to like publicly humiliate them and take their money and cars from them. And it's just, I found it so hilarious because it it just points out the absurdity of these white fears. But like, here's one of the best scenes. My favorite scene is he's, there are black people within his work and like apparently some of them have quit because they don't have to work anymore or some of them are just seeming like successful so you see the white co there's already a division the white kid like the white co-workers are like seething because they're going to be next and some mm-hmm. of them are doing dna tests one finds out but- that she's like a hundred percent like jewish so yep. she's like they never owned it they're trying to prove like i couldn't have been related to slave owners and so um he approaches one of his black co-workers and asks him, how do I handle this woman that's demanding money from me? And the co-worker is like, okay, you're going to talk to her. You're going to apologize to her from the bottom of your heart. And then you're going to give her as much money as you can. He's like, I know these black women. I've lived with black women all my life. Just apologize from the bottom of your heart. Cut to him talking to his white co-workers who are telling them, I would fight this. <laughs> well, and then the final scene of the episode where he's now working uh, in a kitchen at a restaurant and we see as the camera kind of goes to the restaurant the entire wait staff are white people now and all the people dining at this nice restaurant are black people yeah. so it's that ooh they're not going to be able to eat at nice restaurants anymore <laughs> and uh, what's hilarious in the uh, official description in the press release the one thing that people need to look up is the press releases for each of these episodes because the staff of Atlanta did not write them in the voice of just in this episode. They wrote them in the style of internet criticism of what they perceived of the episode. So in the official press release description, one of the lines is, I was legit scared watching this. Uh, And it's just, I think it's some of the best television comedy I've seen in a long time. Then it's comedy, but it's also relevant and meaningful. Yes, It's about a real thing in sort of poking fun at this political insanity in America over like just coming to terms with the fact that, yeah, there were some white people in America that owned slaves and let's deal with that. Let's work through it. Let's actually do the things needed to 
make reparations for that so we can move on to the next stage of whatever America is supposed to be. Yeah. Uh, so I found that really good. So that was your second one. Um, I also found uh, Rich Wigga, Poor Wigga to be a good one, which yeah, is an was... episode filmed entirely in black and white. Um, it is, once again, another uh, standalone episode. And in this one, there's a boy named Aaron who is played by uh, an interracial actor, Tyreek Withers. And he is white passing with his friends at school. Yeah. Uh, his father is black. His mother is white. Uh, he's going to school at the beginning of the episode with his dad. Uh, and there's a story on the radio about a black man dying in a police shooting, a tragically yeah. common thing in America. Uh, his dad wants him to fill out the FAFSA forms, which if you're not from America, that's federal student loans. He wants his dad to fill it out, his, he, but his dad doesn't want to. Uh, yeah. He warns him that if he stays at home after high school, he's going to make him pay rent. So, like, Aaron is at these crossroads, uh, and he has a white girlfriend who wants him to go to the same college as her, and he hasn't told her that he hasn't completed the paperwork. Well, that day at school, this uh, black millionaire, uh, who, funny enough, his name is Robert Lee, Robert S. Lee, not Robert E. Lee, is the guest speaker. There's an assembly for all of, I guess they'd be the juniors, right? Because the next year they'd have their senior year and then they go to college. I think that's normally how it works. Yeah. You have a year in between when you get accepted to a college. Uh, he's going to donate a million dollars to the school and he's also going to pay every senior's college tuition. But then states the caveat, it's only the black students. <laughs> the white students are getting in. <laughs> I think this is my favorite because there was a moment of celebration. And you the look on the white students' faces. And then he leans into the microphone and goes, only black. Yeah. <laughs> and so Aaron, who has been passing himself off as a white person to his friends, his girlfriend, to the school, basically, is now at a crossroads. Because does he lean into his blackness now to benefit himself, even though he's ignored, like, that part of himself and that community yeah. this entire time? Like, is that fair for him to do that? You know, he is half black, right? Maybe he does deserve it. It's also but he's also not... He hasn't experienced blackness in the way that these other students have who can't hide it. Yeah, and it's also the, that thing that even in the argument with his father, his father was like, sometimes I wish you would be pulled over. So because his, he has no empathy. Be, yeah, he has no empathy because they're listening to the radio, and he was just like, "Well, he should have just the guy should have just listened to the cops." And his father, like, I don't think you understand. You're just you're going on with that oh with something without realizing. He's like, I know you have your friends fooled, but it's like you can't fool me with your big nose. And he's just like, you're. There has to be a moment. Like he's kind of like, there has to be a moment that someone's gonna look at you and be like, you're not white. You're not white. You're not white. But he is, like, he obviously straightens his hair, or maybe he his hair is that straight, but it's just kind of, like, really weird. And what happens afterwards, Seth, when well, that announcement is made? Uh, all the white kids get really mad. No, not just that. Oh, but then they, they basically have each black student come before this uh, Robert Lee and a panel of other black people. And they just talk to them. It's an es it's it's an essence of your black because he's talking to a non-black kid. He's he's not he's not white either. He but he does have like a I forgot what it's called uh, the little wrap on his head, 
Oh, I forgot. Like a do-rag? He has a do-rag on, and he's talking about... So apparently you just go to them and it, it like black blackness is an essence. Yeah. The, so he's a, like explaining to him like it's not just the black kids. He's like because there's like some Latino kids that are out there and he, they're like so you know you'll go through and so. And so there's this wonderful moment where Aaron finally signs up to go before the panel and is going to say I'm black, and it becomes this hilarious. Uh, interrogation of him and the determination at the end by the panel is that he's white and he's not getting a dollar (laughs) and like the direction the episode goes because we eventually meet this nigerian student who they also determined is not black because he's like first generation immigrant to america yeah so that he didn't go through the struggle and they're like nah you're like parents didn't really struggle they like kind of have money and you haven't experienced what it's like to be black in america and so like Felix is that character's name. And then Aaron get into this big argument about who's blacker and who deserves it more. While trying to go to destroy the <laughs> yeah, school. To, to burn the school down and yeah. like blow it up. Uh, it's very, very interesting. And I think it's, a, it's an interesting thing to explore. As like a white person, it's something that I've never had to deal with because I'm very, you know, you look at me, you know I'm white. <laughs> but for black people in America where... There was, I mean, you have black people use terms like, you know, high yellow to refer to skin tone and the assumptions that, you know, certain people, black people, because of the tone of their skin, have privileges that people who have darker tones don't get to have. Yeah. Um, But then also, you know, the ideas of African immigrants are African immigrants black. And what does it mean to be a black person? Is it an experience? Is it a skin color? Like African-American versus like uh, immigrants. And that's why it's the reference of just calling people black versus African-American unless you're meaning actually African-American people. And there is a character who was denied the scholarship that then they get shot by the police and then they're granted the scholarship because they said that's the blackest thing that could happen to anybody is to get shot by the cops. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's... Atlanta just continues to be, like, extremely relevant, more relevant than much of any other comedy type of show I see on television on a regular basis. Apparently, the final season will be coming to us at the end of this year, so it's going to be here very soon. And uh, after the way this season ended, I'm just very interested to see where does it go? Because I wouldn't mind there just being an anthology series that goes on and on and on. And you don't nearly need to rely on the same actors, but you can look at issues of race in America and look at, you know, white fears and find, you know, funny, poignant ways to explore that Mm -hmm. in ways that, like, you know, network television just simply isn't ever going to do. It's too, they got too many advertisers and they don't want to, like, ruin that. That's not going to happen. Uh, so I would say if you haven't seen Atlanta, I wouldn't start with this season. I would go back and start from the beginning. Though okay, you, so we only went to the second part of the list because I didn't. Oh, oh okay. One. Did you have another? Oh, I only had two episodes. Do you have three? I thought you said three. I said two, but okay. I did not. Okay. Well, we the we shared one of them, so we could say that was mine anyway, right? Uh, okay. New Jazz, I really enjoyed, and okay. New Jazz, I felt like was almost an indication that he had a. Like visiting from his uh, from a family member because I don't want to spoil it. Well, let me describe what happened. Yeah. So in New Jazz, um, we've got Alfred and Darius are going to a 
uh, coffee shop in Amsterdam. Now, if you're not from Amsterdam, you don't drink coffee at a coffee shop. You buy weed at a coffee shop. Yeah. And I think in like Amsterdam, I know where we live, you just go in and buy it. It's very like transactional. I think in Amsterdam, they do have some like coffee shops where you can sit down and actually consume it on the premises. Yeah. And this one is consumed like a hot chocolate slash coffee. Yeah. And it's a space cake, which I have not had. Um, And it's an edible uh, cannabis infused food. I mean, we've eaten cake, so I think it's kind of similar. It's just a, uh, a pretty strong thing. So Darius and um, Alfred take it, and we just follow Alfred on the crazy THC trip that he has. And so what about this episode stood out to you? I think it was just because it was... It was one that was based on the characters around them, but it was an underlining to show that, like, there's certain things that artists don't think about once they do become famous. There is this concern about looking cool not realizing that maybe you shouldn't have to look cool especially if you're trying not to be noticed by the public um the ownership of his music making sure he's well taken care of which is i think especially within black artists or artists of color is never really touched upon because when you go into a record company it is mostly white people that own your music Mm -hmm. and is he being taken care of it's also like you could feel maybe like the under uh, the ripples of frustration that he might have with the people that are are that he's surrounding himself with Mm Urn is not so much of a concern as the urn is always anticipating his needs Darius but Darius and I think one of my favorite moments is Darius goes to buy the coffee the guy tells him all right, it's X amount of euros. And he's like, oh man, I don't have enough money. And then he closes his eyes and the guy's like, what are you doing? I'm just, I'm going to let the universe and fate take care of it. And then just Alfred just steps (laughs) forward and pays for it. (laughs) And to to Darius, that's the way Darius's life works, right? He's out of money and the universe is his friend Alfred just stepping in and paying for the shit. In the, in the series, they never really answer how Darius is getting money. I'm sure he's getting paid by being part of the posse, but it's like... He doesn't really do anything <laughs> or serve a purpose or function. He just kind of like floats through existence. Yes. And I think I'm cracking up because it's just it's so like, you know, just whatever it is, man. And just the... There's some things on this episode that are very much on the nose. Well, I mean, he... At one point, Alfred goes to a place called The Cancel Club. Yeah. And he runs into a real-life actor playing themselves who was... I don't think they were really canceled, but it was like they said something that people reacted to in a certain way. And that's a funny scene because this actor said something about black people, and people got mad at them. And so the, the actor here talks about how, you know, he has a lot of remorse for what he said, and then Alfred... uh, is like, oh, yeah, man, that's good. But then the actor says he doesn't like black people now because they nearly ruined his career and they're his <laughs> mortal enemies. <laughs> so it's like, did he learn anything? But it's like, I mean, I think that actor to be able to mock himself yes. in that way shows a lot. That's like a I lot. I thought it was great, especially that scene because it's just sort of like you think it's going to be a touching moment of it's him not. learning. <laughs> going, oh, fuck you guys. And then throughout this, it's Alfred comes across Lorraine, who's a uh, black transgender woman from America. Yeah. Who becomes like a spirit guide for yes. him. It's like taking him through this journey. Yeah. 
to all these little places. Uh, how did you feel about? Uh, th- I, I felt like this looped back. There was an episode in season two where Alfred went on a similar journey. Uh, he got stuck out in the woods. Oh yeah, and like... it's just called woods. Yeah, uh, it was episode eight from season two where Alfred. Uh, flees into the woods after like a potential mugging and then goes through another spirit journey where like people appear to him and they're supposed to represent certain things. I think it's almost without saying it like they're and this is me my background of like being Puerto Rican it's like this idea that you are being guided by forces um, beyond you that you have ancestors you have spirits that help guide you which is something that I wish more media that like are centered around BIPOC people would do more of because I feel like we it, there's too much sanitation at times for white people to feel okay or this idea that you know all we have is the church and hallelujah <laughs> and uh, by doing that there is like there's something underneath there's a layer underneath that we're not going to talk about but we know like it's being guided through life um, that isn't strictly re- like Depending on like Christianity so I always enjoy those moments especially when they are coming to a realization that something else is out there especially towards the end with him when he's just sort of like oh oh okay because he didn't realize it at the moment like um Ern ends up being like he means so-and-so and like he gets very quiet and he realizes like what that trip was all about yeah so I'd say uh if you haven't ever watched Atlanta what are you waiting for it's a great show yes uh, and I think season three is probably the best so far, which gives me a lot of high hopes for uh, what's to come in season four. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Make sure to check out the show notes for any links to relevant reviews on popcult.blog. Uh, and if you visit popcult.blog, you're going to find a lot more reviews. Uh, Coming up soon on the uh, site here in June, we will be starting a heller, uh, a series about the Magnificent Medea and looking at Tyler Perry's personal ideology, uh, looking at how he applies that to a character like Medea, how that interacts with drag and black culture and black women. Additionally, we're also going to be doing a TV series where we're going to be going through uh, the West Wing and with the aptly uh, titled West Wing Sucks. Uh, And I think this is a pretty relevant time to talk about that, to kind of talk about how neoliberal ideology has ground American progress to a halt by focusing so much on, you know, the the grandeur of institutions and, you know, how necessary decorum and civility are. Now, especially when we're in a place where People are being stepped on, you know, the boot heel of establishment is really coming down and looking at how this show kind of poisoned the discourse well. Uh, If you want to be able to keep up here with the podcast, just subscribe wherever it is you listen to podcasts and you'll be notified when our new episodes are up. And if you want to help out in supporting uh, the podcast and the blog, we have a Patreon, which is also linked in the show notes. We've got lots of rewards and goals there. Uh, One of those goals, if you donate at the $10 or higher a month level, is that you get to pick a film for me to review. And I want to thank our patron, Becca, who is at our $10 writer's room level uh, for her donations. She picked a film 
that we'll be reviewing uh, here in the next week. So keep an eye on that, the blog for that. And uh, until you know, the next time we meet, just stay out there and keep watching.